we're all very much on the same page. There is a need for more money. There is a need uh, for more delivery of results uh, for families, uh, whether we're talking about uh, more access to primary care uh, doctors and teams, uh, whether it's quicker access to mental health supports, whether it's uh, reducing the surgery backlog. There are lots of things that we're working on with the provinces, and I, I look forward uh, uh, to being able to uh, announce uh, positive steps forward in the very near future. That was uh, Justin Trudeau on uh, Monday when he was asked about the health reforms announced by Doug Ford. Careful not to outright agree with the reforms, even though he himself has demanded reforms as a condition to give increased spending to the premiers. He also knows four other provinces are already using not-for-profit private clinics as part of health care. And there are countless angles that we can take on the government's decision to use private clinics to clear up the backlog, including, of course, the blowback from opposition and special interest groups that argue and will argue, always argue, they will always argue that uh, this is the death of universal care because they only want and see one solution, and that is to pour money into a system that is very clearly broken and that money doesn't help. One of the things being raised is that, you know, Ford... Um, says this will all be covered by OHIP. And critics will argue people have to use their credit cards to get services. But, you know, we already pay for extras. When I hear that, I think, well, I had to pay for a doctor's note. Um, if you get a prescription refilled by your doctor, you have to pay for that. Some blood work you want. If it's not given to you by your doctor and you say, hey, I want to get my cholesterol checked, you got to pay for that. So that, that does happen now. So we do use our credit card. Um, but the ar other argument is that private clinics are, you know, going to upsell on things like lenses or, or, or implants. But hospitals do that now. So there's a lot of fact, a lot of fiction, and a lot of politics at play. So let's get some clarification. Dr. Sarah Allen is a professor of health policy at the University of Toronto and joins us now. Doctor, appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Um, we know that what we have is not working, not for any fault of the frontline workers, but it is not working when we have waiting lists of two and a half years for fairly simple procedures that are now going to be covered in these private uh, facilities. But what, what, is, um, what is it that you are concerned about? Where is it that you see in this kind of debate now that we're in, um, you know, that there are questions to be asked? Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of questions to be asked, and it's it's good to see that change is, is underway. We have many problems in the system in Ontario and across Canada, and really globally. These are problems that are not unique to Canada, the surgical backlogs, long wait lists, uh, inadequate care in the community, um, emergency departments are overcrowded. But a lot of that relates to uh, workforce shortages. You know, we don't have all the people we need, and we're, we're struggling to keep the the, strain, the the trained, highly skilled workers that are in the system, keep them in their positions. There's been higher rates of retirements and exodus. So this is a really big question, is how are we going to maintain the, the workers that we have, keep them well-supported, and bring in new people? And if we're going to open up new places for surgeries, how are we going to staff them, making sure that those staff are really well-supported, that they're linked up with the, with the health system when they, when they you know, perhaps need to move around in a, in a crisis like we had with the pandemic? So the workforce is a critical question to ask. How are we planning for that uh, increase? but also other questions that I'm happy to talk about today. Well, yeah, I mean, but there are regulations. It's not like uh, Joe Blow can go out and open up a clinic. A lot, a lot of these clinics are established already. You know, you got the Shoulders Clinic and things like that, the 
place where uh, the, the premier made his announcement is just down the street from me. That's where I got a colonoscopy last year. I, I, you know, it was very simple. The procedure was not great, but it was it was easy to get to and, and, and get the service done. And then I gave my OHIP. So we have these facilities in, in place now, um, but these places are regulated. So I'm not certain how that would um, change. Like, how would these not be regulated any differently than what we've got now? Yeah, and I think the regulation is still unclear how we might increase their role in the system because right now they're that you're right. They play a role in diagnostics, in in minor procedures, and in routine interventions, and that's you know been part of our system for quite some time. And there's been a regulatory structure in place to make sure that people don't have to pay out of pocket, that there's high quality, and so on. But there hasn't been a lot of oversight of these clinics and there's not a lot of effort to really integrate them within the system. So when we talk about integration, we really mean that information follows people and patients and so that, you know, if something happens in one of these clinics, that that information can be easily shared to an acute care hospital where they might be treated and and uh, addressed for any sort of um, additional follow-up care that's needed, et cetera. So that type of integration isn't really outlined yet. And I think that would be really important to consider and to make sure that the that there's high quality care that people are, you know, that they trust that the, the care they're provided is, is something that's going to be linked up to other parts of the system and care that we're going to need as we continue to age. Yeah, I mean, I, I would then just kind of play the devil's advocate. I mean, we have patients, many who don't have doctors, they got to go to the emergency or walk in, they don't get followed up. I mean, there are, the, so we already have those issues in the system now where we've got people who don't have kind of any regularity around their care. And so um, I think, you know, there are a lot of holes in the system that we kind of seem to be okay with some. We're okay with some people waiting on lists, maybe if they need hips and eyes and, and, and knees. But, you know, you know, as soon as we can offer care to them, then it becomes a problem. And I'm, I worry because doctors, we well know, Denmark, Sweden, France, Netherlands, Germany, Japan, Singapore, I can name, like, I could keep going. These are countries that all use these particular systems with their universal care. And they've had a lot of, of um, success with those. And so why wouldn't we go and follow that, that kind of um, path? Yeah, and I mean, you're, you're right that many other countries have experience with um, integrating private uh, sector sort of providers into their publicly funded system. And we can really learn from those because those countries also have much stronger regulatory mechanisms. There's a really strong oversight by the government just to make sure that these um, operators that might be for profit are working within the sort of you know objectives of the system, both in terms of providing data and reporting on things like quality and experience and the things we care about to make sure people are well looked after, sharing that with government, with other providers, introducing um, information systems that might be able to communicate with their mm-hmm. you know local hospitals, for example, would be great as well. So the oversight that's provided in these other countries really provides some opportunity for us to learn about how to sort of bring them into the system in a thoughtful way that allows to maintain quality as well as equity and efficiency. Like, you know, we talk a lot about wait lists and one way to improve them is to have them more centralized, more managed at a system level and not just at an individual hospital or specialist level. So those are the types of things I'd like to see, you know, talked about and maybe fleshed out further with this plan to really increase and scale up the role of these, these facilities in our health system. 
Yeah, I mean, for a billion dollars with eHealth, uh, that was the goal. Uh, yeah, we, we, we still, as I, I don't need to tell you, doctor, we still don't have that system. It is insanity to me that we lost that much money and, uh, we still don't have any cohesive, uh, communication, um, you know, uh, within hospital systems in Toronto, let alone the country, let alone the province. But that's where we're at. There are a lot of holes to be filled. There's a lot of things that are broken that need to be fixed. And so the other thing that we hear a lot about is upselling. Um, you know, that people will, you know, you go to get your eyes done and maybe they have a better lens than what's on offer by OHIP, but you can get that if you pay a bit more. But that stuff happens already in doctors where you'll get a set price on one kind of kneecap and maybe you want the ultra extra kneecap and you can pay for that. But that, that stuff does happen now. And I just want clarity so people have context because there's so much politics at play. Can you clarify how it would be different than with the private clinics? Yeah, and I think that it's important to realize that we do, you know, push a lot of costs onto people themselves. As you say, we are, we pay a lot out of pocket in our health system, and that's actually unusual in Canada relative to other countries. We pay a lot more privately, meaning like out of our pocket, we have to pay for a lot of prescription drugs and anything that we're doing to help relieve pain while on wait list, like physio, massage therapy, that's all out of pocket as well. So, I'd like to, you know, open up the conversation a little bit broader to all those costs that, you know, perhaps we could do a bit, bit better job of, you know, providing supports, especially for people who can't afford them. And, you know, the upselling is another piece. But that would require where, planning and it would require yeah. the province and the federal government to actually, yeah. you know, get rid of the redundancies. We've got medical, we've got um, pharma plans, we've got dental plans, we've got all this patchwork of plans that don't help everybody. And in essence, I don't think they help anybody um, because right. there's, they're a patchwork. Yeah, I agree. And there's a there's a there's a many different programs out there, each sort of designed in their own unique way. And a lot of people are falling through the gap. So we have, you know, huge costs based on individuals. So the the issue, one of the questions that might be raised with increasing the role of private for profit clinics is that there might be additional incentives in order to make a profit. You have to find ways to do that. And so in these facilities, there might be, you know, an increased rate of upselling. And if we have, you know, ability to monitor and, about, you know, report on and collect this data, then we'll be able to see if that actually plays out. And if we, you know, so it comes back to the sort of oversight role of the government. Are we willing to play that role? Are we going to monitor these and hold them to account with contracts and make that really, you know, publicly available in terms of the metrics on mm -hmm. the indicators that we're interested in? Like, the equity impacts of having to pay out of pocket. So that's what I mean by, you know, the other uh, countries that you mentioned, they have these more, you know, clear sort of contractual obligations that are set out that the providers have to adhere to, as well as public reporting on indicators yeah. like wait times and equity and costs. So we'll be able to see if these are, um, if we're able to kind of maintain and, and protect people from these additional risks. Transparency is crucial, uh, private yeah. or public. Uh, we have seen exactly. that, that. If you can't follow the dollar, you don't know how it's being spent. And I, I think uh, there's a lot of blame on both sides uh, for spending too much. Mm -hmm. Well, look, the conversation is just starting, Doctor. Very much appreciate you being part of it. So thank you. Thanks for including me. That's uh, Dr. Sarah Allen, who is a professor of health policy over at U of T. I mean, on the flip side, I mean, look, it's going to ease pressure. But competition should be good between private and public. And maybe it'll put some of the hospital administrators that are paid a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money. Maybe it'll make them better and sharper at their job so that they can start justifying some of the losses that they have.